0: Do you know, I feel so at home here. Uh, it is It is lovely to think that we have all these connections. And um, what beautiful weather you have here in Carrickfergus. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> so um, I think uh, as I was worshipping, when when we started, there were sort of some scattered people. And we're worshipping away. And then we sat down and the whole room had been filled up. And that's fairly typical of a vineyard. Uh, it's like we symbolically draw uh, towards the Lord, and it's the worship that calls us in and calls us into a closer and closer encounter with with the Lord, and it's very, very precious. And so um, it's precious to be here, uh, even though I've never been before, I just feel incredibly at home and really love uh, Paul and Chantel and have kind of met them over the last few years and and they're just adorable and wonderful, and they have a, a very good reputation uh, beyond the Irish vineyards uh, into the UK as well. So you you need to look after them, love them, cherish them, honour them as your leaders. Um, anyway, I just want to start with a story. So there's um, a Chinese girl in our church, she doesn't speak very good English, and um, she was out shopping and she felt um, this strong urgency that she was to... Uh, leads someone to Jesus that morning and she's not never done this before she's quite shy and as I said doesn't speak very good English so immediately she shoots up a prayer to the Lord Lord please let it be somebody who speaks Mandarin um, anyway, she's wandering around. She's in a newsagent's, and she's looking around for who this person might be. And she sees a, a, a man who looks like he could be Chinese and therefore may speak Mandarin. So she starts following him around. <laughs> and she's sort of following him around, and eventually the man turns around. Um, but he needs some help to find what he's looking for. And so she – and he does speak Mandarin. So they, she starts to help him find what he's looking for. And then she says to him um, – I've recently started a relationship with Jesus. Are you interested? And in finding out more about Jesus, and he sort of is puzzled, he doesn't know anything about Jesus. But he said, I do have questions about God. I've got lots of questions about God. So she says, "Um, uh, well, can I pray with you? So she prays with him. Anyway, as a result of the conversation, uh, she invites him to come to the Alpha course, which had just begun that week. So pretty much two days later, he's coming to the Alpha course. And uh, on the first or second time of going to the Alpha course, he gives his life to Jesus. And then about a week after that, we had a baptism service, and he came along and brought four of his friends to the church. So a sound conversion, really amazing, and already he's starting to share the gospel. And um, I tell that story because this is one of the reasons I love being in the vineyard, because I know that this is your heart as well, that we would be a people that wouldn't just hear the good news for ourselves but we that we would share it but we'd also be open to the Holy Spirit guiding us that we don't do this alone we don't kind of go out trying to strain and make something happen but we actually just go out into our ordinary places with an openness to the Lord speaking to us. I want to tell you a little bit more about the Vineyard family that we're all part of. About 30 years ago I had Uh, only ever attended a vineyard conference because there were no vineyards in this country. Um, I kept asking through my father to John Wimber, who started the vineyard movement in the US, would there ever be vineyards in the UK? And the answer initially was no, because they had felt the Lord give them permission to come across to the UK to bless established churches. They came with a real love for the body of Christ, Uh, the Church of England, the Methodists, the Baptists, uh, just all manner of church denominations were opening up um, to the vineyard coming and imparting to them what they had learned and experienced uh, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And so, John and I were very impacted um, by what we saw and heard. And the very first time I heard about the vineyard, John and I were actually far from God. We were, um, I was at Nottingham University. My husband, John, we weren't married then. He was in Sheffield and then he'd moved to Oxford. He was a jeweler. So setting diamonds and working with gold and silver and that. And um, we had met at the youth group uh, where Paul was a youth leader, but long before his time. And, um, we had met there, but we were very much on the edge. We were making choices far away from God. So on the one hand, we, we were doing everything we wanted to do, but we didn't like who we were becoming. And it's a miserable place to be when you have known the Lord and you have seen the Lord in the lives of, uh, you know, people's lives being changed and those things. And yet you find yourself far away. It's a horrible place. But, um, we were so impacted when my father talked to me on the phone. And he talked about a, a visit that they'd had to St. Andrew's in Chorleywood, And John Wimber had come across with about 20 young people who had all paid for themselves to come on team to bless the established church. So these are 18, 19, 20-year-olds who came in their coach load to Chorleywood, this little village. And that night, uh, John Wimber had talked about um, God wanting his church back. That the minister, my father, was doing everything. And he said, God wants to equip the people. He wants to release the people to extend God's kingdom everywhere. And, um, and there will be a sign to accompany the truth of my message. And at the end of his message, the Holy Spirit fell. And we had never, I mean, I'm only hearing this on the phone, I'd never heard of anything like it. People were falling on the floor, people were laughing, people were getting healed. There was a woman who I'd known for many years because I'd attended my father's church and so had my husband John. She was in a wheelchair suffering from multiple sclerosis. Ten years, she hadn't spoken, she had to be dressed every morning and her husband would wheel her to church. That night, Mary Riddlesdale gets up out of her wheelchair and starts wheeling her husband around the building. People are standing on their pews, they're shouting, they're cheering, they're excited. I mean, it was electrifying. Into the back of the building walks uh, about seven or eight young people who'd heard the commotion and they're hearing all this noise. And they come into the back and they're so excited by what they're seeing, but they don't know what it is. And one of the American team goes up to them and says, Do you want some? And before they could answer, he joins their hands together. And it's like electricity went through them. And he said, do you want to know Jesus? And about four of them said yes. And one of them was Mike Shaw, Phil's dad. Solid, sound conversion. And um, so... John and I, I heard this on the phone very quickly. John and I decided to repent from, we, we were involved sexually. We decided to repent, to get engaged. And we said to ourselves, if the vineyard comes back to the UK, we've got to get ourselves to one of those meetings. At the time, I was anorexic and bulimic. So I have, an, I have a fear of God, but I'm not following God. I've been become really, um, I'm awakened by what I've heard through the vineyard. I'm longing to get to one of these meetings. And so I got myself to this meeting um, somewhere during the year of our engagement. And I'm really skinny. No idea that God would be interested in healing me on the inside. And um, I come into the back of the meeting room. This is St. Andrew's in Chorley Wood. My bridesmaid-to-be who wasn't a Christian is standing next to me. And John's arrived. And, we, and the first thing that struck us was the worship. It was so intimate, and it was John Wimber just playing on the piano, and he was just playing a simple song, and I just began to weep. I'd never wept in church before. I didn't know. I just had never seen it. I'd never experienced it, and I'm sobbing and sobbing uncontrollably in this worship, and my bridesmaid, she's weeping, and she's not even a believer, and uh, John Wimber speaks. I can't remember what he said, but then he does this thing where he says, come, Holy Spirit, very quietly. And then my John starts to shake violently. And he doesn't do things like that. I mean, he really is very kind of conservative and very together. And I'm tapping him and say, are you all right? And he says, feels great. And uh, anyway, things are happening around the room. And then they say, if you would like prayer, and they start having words of knowledge... And um, they named a condition. I had um, a a series of um, torn tendons because I was a dancer at the time. And uh, so I went up to the front. But what happened to me when I went up to the front was I just had this overwhelming sense of the love of God. And I was restored to a relationship with my father. And I think I was delivered, but I don't remember anything about it because it was very gentle and very loving. And I remember getting up and walking to the back of the, the back pew where we'd been sitting, and I just knew that everything was going to be different, that I was going to live a life that was going to be totally sold out for Jesus. Whatever he said, whatever he asked of me, I would do it. And everything changed for us. And um, we then, you know, got married. And then um, about a year into our marriage, the, the Vineyard came back again to do another conference. Now, at this time, no churches were going to be planted in the UK. But we go to this conference at Westminster And um, it was filled with leaders from all sorts of denominations. And when the Holy Spirit fell, it was dramatic. It was loud. It was, I mean, you you would think that these are all leaders. You would think they were all sorted. But poor, you know, what happens very often with, with Christian leaders is they have nowhere to go. Nowhere to go to talk about their pain or their mistakes or their sin. And here was a place where the Holy Spirit was moving and uh, all sorts of things were being broken off these leaders and freedom was coming to them. And, um, and it was amazing. And I remember we, we went from there and we, we were thinking, who can we pray for? Who can we pray for? And John had a friend who had been a drug addict for 20 years. He was an ex-Hells Angel, um, huge guy. And um, we had realized that Lou had been sent home um, from hospital really to die and we thought we've got to go and pray for Lou well John went on his own he came to Lou's home and Lou was lying in bed he'd lost so much weight he was skeletal his you know where where his cheeks was sucked in he had deep vein thrombosis and pleurisy and uh, he just wrecked himself through so much um, you know so much uh, drug issues going on his life and so he's lying there and John said to him Lou can I pray for you And as he invites the Holy Spirit, Lou experiences the most incredible sense of peace. And at that point, he opened his heart to Jesus. And it was wonderful. But we didn't know where to take him to church. Because even though St. Andrews in Chorley Wood, which was probably too far for him to travel, was a church that was filled with the Spirit, it was still fairly middle class. And um, Lou would, would have been disruptive. He would have been... Um, I mean, he'd have had all sorts of issues that needed dealing with. And we were terrified. Where shall we take him? What church can we take him to? And we were living in Nottingham. And so it was one of those um, situations that made us yearn for a church, a church like this, a church where anybody can come, a church where everybody is welcome, a church where you can come as you are, but where people love you too much to leave you in that place where you can come and you can be in this room and you may not even know Jesus. You're exploring, you've got lots of questions uh, and you're totally welcome. And so we started to take our friends to our local church because there wasn't a vineyard at the time and our friends who were really interested in Jesus and they were fascinated in all this sort of healing stuff and they would experience the presence of God and they would experience peace and they wanted to know more about Jesus. But we'd take them to church and then they would light up. <laughs> they would start wanting to smoke their cigarettes in church. In those days, everybody smoked everywhere, but not in church. And people didn't know how to handle them. And we kept saying, where would we find a church? So this yearning um, to start vineyards um, began, well, increased. Well, eventually we ended up in um, Anaheim. We went to visit John Wimber's church. And um, we met this couple called John and Montford, Mumford, and John Mumford had been a vicar in the Church of England, but he was asking the same question. Could, why wouldn't there be vineyards in the UK? Wouldn't you let there be vineyards? And the issue for John Wimber is that he didn't want the Americans to come over here or another part of the world and start kind of American culture vineyards. And so as more Brits were going over to them, and actually there were some Irish folks out there as well, asking for vineyards, they began to realize that maybe God was doing something, and maybe they needed to listen. Now I just want to just talk a little bit uh, about um, John and Carol Wimber, who started the vineyard. So I mentioned that um, uh, John was a musician and this is why he led worship so beautifully. But he had worked with the Righteous Brothers. Now, some of you of an older generation will remember songs like, You've Lost That Loving Feeling. So he was, he would, he was part of writing that song. It was, he played many, many instruments. And when he got saved, he came to faith from a background of total ungodliness. I mean, he had no... God was not on the spectrum. It was a generational thing. No, Nobody had been to church. But he gets dramatically saved... And, um, and is discipled in a really good Bible-believing church. Um, but as he got excited about reading the scriptures, at one point he, he said he went to his church leader and he said, when are we going to get to do the stuff? And the church leader said, what, what stuff is that? And he said, well, what I'm reading in the Gospels and in, and in Acts you know, they healed the sick, they cast out demons, they set captives free, they fed the poor, they took care of widows. And he starts to talk about what the early church is doing and how they shared one another's belongings and uh, and they heard dreams and they were sent out on, on missionary journeys. And when do we get to do this? And uh, the pastor said to him, well, those things, you know, the healing things, well, you know, they happened in the... Bio- they were once a one-time thing, you know. And and the other stuff, well, you know, very few people, you know, it, it's um, very few people get called to go a, a long way on the mission field. And, you know, there's some very, we do have a few connections. And I mean, but in the end, it was shut down. And, and Wimbo was so disappointed. He said, is this what I gave up drugs for? You know? And um, so it's not surprising that many years later by this time Wimber had been ordained he'd become a church growth consultant he was traveling around all denominations helping them grow churches but really quite disillusioned with the church that he saw and his wife Carol went through a season of the Holy Spirit speaking to her she repented for judgmentalism she felt she'd become pharisaical that she again she was a good Bible study teacher but it was all about judgment and and telling people off and she began a little group in her sister-in-law's house and they just began to seek God and this group grew and John kept saying to them where's this group going what's happening with it you know John Wimber and eventually said you need to come John you need to come and lead us anyway so this was the beginnings of the vineyard and um, they started this little group and all sorts of burnt out Christians came along so they knew their Bibles thoroughly most of them were already Christians initially and they would gather together and they would just um, talk about in I statements they would say this is what The word of God is saying to me this is how I'm applying it to my life this is an experience that I've had and let me share it with you and so they would open each other's uh, kind of open up to each other really honestly about the journey that they were on as they looked at the scriptures and as they journeyed every day with Jesus and then this would say things like, well God spoke to me today I felt stirred up that I had to talk to a neighbor or I had to invite someone over I had to feed somebody who was poor and they began to respond to what God was initiating in their lives And there was a young chap there called Carl Tuttle, very broken lad, latchkey kid, and uh, he was a teenager, and he had a guitar, and he would play, and then he started to um, lead them in worship, and originally they sang songs that they knew, and then he would start to write some songs and sing some songs, very simple love songs, but when they sung the songs that were directed towards God... When it was like having a conversation with God in the room, with Jesus in the room, they felt this intimacy. They felt the presence of God in the room, and, and they would begin to weep and cry and kneel and be face on their faces on the floor. And they would encounter the Lord in these amazing ways. So. Then the church began to grow with, you know, unbelievers would come. And eventually the church they belonged to threw them out. (laughs) In the nicest possible way, they said, look, something started here. By this time they had over 100 hanging out of their windows as they met in their home. You know, uh, hanging out the windows. Because the Americans have fairly open plan homes. And people hanging out the windows. And eventually they were said, you need to, we need to release you. And so the vineyard movement started. Anyway, so, you know, winding a lot further forward, um, You can see as I'm talking, um, I'm telling you a little about the things that we value. We love the whole church. We love the word of God. Jesus is so precious to us. And sharing our faith with others is just so important to us. But we see the scriptures through the lens of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is expanding. Jesus' main message was all about the kingdom. It was all about um, expanding the will of the Father everywhere, in every kind of way. And, uh, you know, we do this, um, in our workplaces, in the school playground, we do it, um, in our families. We're just seeking God. God, how do you want your kingdom to be expressed through me in all sorts of ways? And we believe in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit is guiding us all the time. So I was, um, sitting at home the other day. Uh, well, actually this was, you know, several months ago. And, um, I, I went across to my neighbor. So I live in a main road, lots of traffic. So I don't know many of my neighbors down the road because it's, it's not one of those sort of neighborhoods in, in that sense. Well, that's my excuse. <laughs> but I do know my next-door neighbors next to me. And, uh, but anyway, so this parcel had been delivered two doors down. So I went two doors down to get my parcel. And there was a lady there. She was very kind, gave me my parcel. I came back. I sat down in the sitting room and I had a, a word came to, came to me, um, acid reflux. And actually, I didn't know it was that word. I thought it was acid reflex condition. And I thought, oh, goodness, I wonder if it was for that woman. So like anybody else, I'm terrified. This could be a mistake. Whoa, I've invented it. What is it? But I get up and I walk down and I knock on her door and I say, hello. You may not have realized that I'm actually a Christian. I love Jesus. And sometimes Jesus speaks to me. Um, Do you have an acid reflex or something condition? And she said, yes, I do. So I said, I believe that if I lay hands on you, you might be healed. Can I pray for you? And she said, yes. So I said, can I come in? And so I came in and, and she explained to me the condition. And it meant she couldn't eat certain foods. She was on medication. And um, so I just laid hands on her and prayed with her. And it was very quick and gentle. And I just said, see how you go. I, you know, Don't come off your medication, but maybe you want to experiment with some foods. Anyway. Three months went by and I didn't see her again and I thought there was nothing to it but three months later she knocked on my door and she came bounding in and she said you won't believe this I have been able to eat everything I'm off my medication I've come back from the first all-inclusive holiday because I can eat everything and she said you have to do what you did what you did to me you have to do to other people and then I said well do you know it was the power of Jesus I'd love to talk with you some more and we've been able to have some more conversations but this is, this is what it means to extend the kingdom. It's being open. It may be with initiatives. It may be with a business initiative that you have. It may be with a plan to change the lives of children by talking about their true identity. Do you know, it may be starting a hairdressing salon uh, where, there's, where you're just going to bring, you know, release freedom to the girls that you employ to, talk, to share their faith. And it, I mean, it could be any number of ways that the Lord begins to press upon us to extend his kingdom. Um, I've done this all back to front and inside out so I'm just gonna, I am just want to end now with um, something that's really really important to us in the vineyard is compassion we love to minister and reach out to people who are vulnerable and in one sense um, compassion is at the core of who we are because every one of us come to Jesus with areas of brokenness in our lives and so I always love um, Isaiah 61, which Jesus then quoted when he went into the synagogue. It's one of the first things he, he read out when he went to his hometown. And he talks about this. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoner, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We have such good news. We have good news for the brokenhearted. There are practical things that we can do to relieve um, the burden for those who are poor and in need around us. I remember I was working um, when we first started our church in Nottingham and we didn't yet have our own ministries to the poor. And um, I felt the Lord say go and work with prostitutes and there was an organization it wasn't a Christian organization I remember I said can I come and help and so I didn't immediately tell people that I was a Christian but over time it came out and um, there was a girl there who who was a volunteer she'd been a prostitute but she wasn't a prostitute anymore and but she continually was in the midst of violent relationships and um, the final one was so bad that every weekend she would come back Uh, beaten up black and blue and it was getting worse and she'd lost teeth and the last time this boyfriend of hers had put a gun to her head and she was shaking on the Friday afternoon I used to come in on Fridays she was shaking with fear of going home and what would happen over the weekend and I would ask her to let me pray with her Wendy let me pray with you please let me pray with you God wants to help you And she was very, you know, dismissive. She didn't didn't want God in her life and she didn't want to know. But eventually on this particular Friday, she was so desperate that she let me pray with her. And together we cried out to the Lord for an intervention. She left um, the volunteer place we were hanging out in. She gets home and as she arrives, there's the one man that she's ever known in her life who was good to her. She hadn't seen him for years and there he was standing outside her flat. She said, what are you doing here? He said, I have no idea. I mean, he's not a believer. But she said, I have no idea. I felt I should come. And she then pours out what's been going on and that the man in her flat uh, is, is sitting in there and he's going to beat her up this weekend and all that. So this kind man, who was actually quite strong, goes in, drags the, the violent boyfriend out, throws him out and says, don't you dare come back. Anyway, the, the violent boyfriend gets in his car and he's driving under the influence of alcohol with a gun on his seat and he gets stopped by the police. And so they arrest him, but it turns out he has previous convictions. So he was put into prison immediately, because often he might get sent home. Put into prison immediately, which meant that Wendy could find a new place to live and was moved to safety. And uh, I tell you that to say, God is looking for opportunities to minister to others through you, to set the captives free. When we were working with John and Alan and Mumford in South London Vineyard, we, when they were released to plant the first vineyard, we felt the Lord say to us, go and work with them and this will be your training so we helped them and we watched the church start a bit like this one small group of people and more were added day by day and people were coming to faith and we were seeing the church grow and uh, a couple of years in John and I would be asking the Lord is it now is it now because we wanted to go to Nottingham and uh, it wasn't yet and we took on more responsibilities and we loved working with John and Eleanor. there was no fleshly reason to leave them other than we felt the Lord calling us to Nottingham but the Lord was silent and so we'd moved into a new house and and we were having a wonderful time, and our kids moved to new schools, and we thought we'd settle there. Maybe we would go to Nottingham when our kids left home. That We were so happy working with John and Eleanor. And meanwhile, several people had gone to plant churches, even from our own small group. So the movement in the UK was growing. I think by now there are about 26 vineyards all around. And, um, and one night, uh, my friend Michelle called, and she said, Debbie, will you give me a lift to church? And I said, yes, we had two cars at the time. So I went round to her home, uh, first thing, to pick her up, to take her to the church, and with her two children. And then my John was following about 10 minutes behind. And on the journey uh, to the church, I did a right-hand turn across traffic lights. And I didn't see the oncoming car. And the oncoming car crashed into mine. And there was no doubt about it. It was my fault. And one of my passengers, little Rachel, was killed. And it was devastating. I mean, you can imagine for Michelle losing a child. Uh, You never prepare to lose your child. You might think about losing your parents, but not your child. And so she was in desperate grief, she and her husband. The church was in shock. You can imagine you're all beginning to arrive on a Sunday morning, and then there's an announcement that, you know, one of your leaders has had an accident, and one of these children is fighting for their lives. And It was, for my own family, John turned up sort of 10 minutes in with all the traffic jam because it was in London, uh, helicopter coming to pick little Rachel up, traffic jam everywhere and and he sees my car rolled over and and my boys say it was the first time and only time they ever heard him swear and um, it was um, traumatic for my boys and I hated myself. I reverted back, I hadn't had bulimia for years, I had you know, I was healed, but I started throwing up my food. I just didn't see how I'd ever be able to look anybody in the eye again. I felt I had no right to live. I had no right to speak any good news into anybody's life because I was the bringer of bad news. I was the cause of bad news. And uh, that went on for months and months and I was in utter despair. I knew God was with me. It wasn't that God had abandoned me, but I just couldn't reconcile. How would I ever deserve to live and have, have any sort of purpose. And I would weep and weep before the Lord. And I would go into our guest room so that my boys wouldn't see. And I would weep and weep. And then on an occasion, this is several months in, um, I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I felt the Lord come to me. And it was as if I was at the foot of the cross. And I felt Jesus say, Debbie, you can go one way or you can go the other. You can carry on with the questions that you don't have answers to. You can carry on uh, with this terrible burden, this terrible guilt, not forgiving yourself, listening to lies. You'll never do what I've called you to do and your children will pay the price. Or you can let me have it. You can let me take this burden. You can let me take the unanswered questions and uh, this is what I died for. I died for Michelle's grief. I died for this burden of yours. And before I could almost think, like, wouldn't that be amazing? I felt this blackness ooze out of me. And I felt this freedom come as I let the guilt and the shame pour out into Jesus. And, um, and then I felt the Lord say, Debs, you're going to Nottingham. And I came bounding down the stairs. John, John, we're going to Nottingham. And of course, you can imagine the shift from my John. Here has been, I've been, at his, I've been going through a sort of nervous breakdown. So here's his nervous breakdown wife suddenly saying, we're going to Nottingham. The Lord's spoken. So he said to me, Debs, we need to be really careful. Uh, let's wait on the Lord for further confirmation because we've actually just moved house to, and told John and Eleanor we're staying longer. So we need to wait for confirmation. Let's not tell anybody. So the months went by, but I have to say I felt so different. I felt different at the school gate. I felt I had good news. I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about Jesus. I wanted to talk about forgiveness. I wanted to share my story. And I just felt like a different person. I felt I had dignity. I felt I had purpose. And because that was so true then how could the word about Nottingham not be true? So we began to have conflict because I was saying, it's urgent, we've got to go to Nottingham, they're waiting for us. And John was sort of uh, resisting because he said, I need to hear from the Lord. So he cried out to the Lord, Lord, speak to me or speak to John Mumford or shut Debbie up. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, And sure enough, the Lord spoke to John Mumford and he came to see us and he said, God's been impressing upon me that I need to release you. And within three months, we were in Nottingham planting our church. So I say all this to say to you, everybody's welcome. We all have areas of our life that need healing. Sometimes there are things that have been healed and they need to be healed again. God has a purpose for you. God wants you to extend his kingdom. He's here. He's here with power. He's here both to heal, to deliver, to set free, and to give you a purpose and to establish your true identity as children of God. We're children of God. We're servants to one another and to the community. But in the face of the enemy, we're rulers. We are rulers. We have authority in the face of the enemy. That's who we are.